Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome back to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we will discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations, because everyone's circumstances are different, we will talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. Hi, my name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Now, today we're going to talk about making customer, or making customer da- data analytics an integral part of your business. And um, this is a topic that I think we're only as a, as a community, as an, as an economy, scratching the surface of. Um, you know, a, a, American society sort of, sort of runs away from math. We kind of run away from numbers. We know what the educational data are out there in terms of our, our general math capability. But, you know, the fact of the matter is now if you're running away from numbers, you're running away from business. And like it or not, if you want to be successful – you got to get comfortable with data analytics, with data collection, with, uh, with, with, with data science. And, but that's an intimidating decision because what I've observed, and we have experts here that will say if this is right or not, people are having to fundamentally change how they are thinking about their businesses. They're changing their business models um, based on, on data analytics. And they've had to move towards a kind of a, a fact-based scientifically driven decision-making process, you know, the, the age of, of sort of the crusty executive that just flies by the seat of their pants and makes gut decisions, takes gut decisions on, on major points of interest or points of issue, you know, that, that is rapidly disappearing. So this is, a, this is a very interesting topic, a very important topic, and one that uh, I hope that you as a listener will listen to very carefully. Um, a little bit of data here with... Um, with predictions that by 2020, there will be 1.7 megabytes of data created for every person on Earth every second. Um, that, that is, I'm old enough to remember when, when all, uh, all the data would fit on a half of a megabyte floppy disk, right? I still have a computer that does that. And, and now that that data is being created at that rapid rate, there's no doubt that we're in the age of data-driven business. Businesses of all sizes, all markets, and all customer types simply must get a handle on the information generated by business transactions, internet behavior, and simple day-to-day activity. Those who understand and find ways to manage this endless and growing data flow will flourish. Those who don't are destined to drown. And I I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, We're being joined by two guests today. One, uh, our first guest, not concurrently, but I'm just going left to right as I sort of see through, uh, across a microphone, is Angela Culver. Since the first install in 2012, Mobile Labs remains the leading supplier of in-house mobile device clouds that connect remote, shared smartphones and tablets to global 2000 mobile web gaming and app engineering teams. The company's patented GigaFox is offered on-premises 
or host it and solves mobile device sharing and management challenges that arise during development, debugging, manual testing, and automated testing. A pre-installed and pre-configured Appium server with custom tools provides instant-on Appium test automation. Gigafox enables scheduling, collaboration, user management, security, mobile DevOps, and continuous automated testing for mobility teams spread across the globe and can connect cloud devices to an industry-leading number of third-party tools such as Xcode, Android Studio, and many commercial test automation tools. Angela, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We're also being joined by Mickey Long of Arketi Group. Arketi Group is a public relations and digital marketing firm that helps business-to-business technology organizations accelerate growth through intelligence strategy, public relations, messaging, branding, and demand generation. Consistently recognized by Chief Marketer Magazine as one of the nation's B2B top shops and a Chief Marketer 200 firm, Arketi helps its clients use marketing to generate revenue. Companies benefiting from this approach to B2B marketing include Cox, First Data, Feature Space, Mobile Labs, NCR, and Snapfulfill. Mickey, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So you guys are tag teaming today. You guys have obviously had a relationship. Talk about that relationship. How did it start? How are you guys working together? You want to go first? So um, I actually inherited Arketi. I joined Mobile Labs about four months ago, and um, they were the agency of hire. Um, I know one of the founders of Arketi. He's been in my network for quite some time um, and was actually introduced to Mobile Labs through Mike Newmeyer. Um, I'm a data-driven marketer. Um, Mike is all about numbers as well. He has built a practice, um, a marketing agency practice around that. Um, so there has definitely been synergy. Um, met Mickey about four months ago, and um, we've had a great relationship. He is one of the drivers. Um, I see him and his team as my extended marketing team, and they help me execute almost on daily tasks for what we need to get done. Yeah. we're As you say, we are a company that believes in the data. Everything we do is built around data, and, and having Angela at Mobile Labs has been really refreshing because with her approach, it really, really works much better than if you're dealing with an organization that perhaps doesn't have the same focus and commitment to making the data work for you. So marketing's changed. You know, marketing over the years goes back to the way, you know, I, I go back as far as to say I remember the days when marketing and advertising was built around I know that of every dollar I spend, I'm going to waste 50 cents of it, but I just don't know which 50 cents. Well, those days are really gone. We have the tools, we have the data streams, we have all those things today that we can measure it. We just now have to figure out how to put it into practice and make it work. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So, um, you know, that, that, I've heard that expression before. I mean, that's just not acceptable anymore to say you're going to waste 50% of your money, right? But it's, it wasn't that long ago when that was sort of considered acceptable losses, right? But now, you know, for most well-run businesses, if, you know, if you tell somebody, hey, look, I need $5,000, we'll do well to get 2500 bucks of value off of it. You know, you'd be laughed out of their office at this point, right? Absolutely. For most mature businesses, right? right? There are others, I'm sure, that haven't gotten the program yet. So um, where is this data coming from? What are these you – know, data is hitting us from everywhere. You know, I've got – Amazon Echoes in my house. I've got I've got you know a smart home. I've got cameras every place. 
pretty much anybody on the planet who wants to know anything about my habits, <laughs> they, they know it all, right? Um, where's the data that you're working with coming from? So we're inundated with data. Uh, it, it truly is coming from all different sources. Um, everything that we do is tracked, essentially. Um, my iRobot tracks and maps my house and um, becomes more intelligent on how it needs to vacuum my floors. Um, your, you know, Echo um, tracks your behaviors and um, delivers products to you that is more succinct with what you want. Um, it really is coming from everywhere. We are in a situation where we are living in a world, especially in business, where the mindset is the more data I have, the more I rule the world. And we're about to take a bit of a shift with this. It's no longer how much data you have. It's how you use that data and why you're using that data. And we're starting to see that shift happen where our, our big data is just too big for us to manage and for us to actually use intelligently. And now we've got to focus on the quality of the data. It, it's, it seems to me it's kind of gotten to the point now. There is so much data available. It's, it's like living in a library where all their books are in a foreign language. Yes. <laughs> right? And there's so much of it that you cannot possibly use it all. And mm -hmm. 20 years ago, companies would be begging for this kind of data, right? They thought they've died and gone to whatever heaven it is they believe in, right? Um, and, and, and now it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. There's so much coming from all sides, right? Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say the first step is kind of wrestling that wrestling that that steer to the ground and hog tying it and 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 just trying to organize it? it I think it, it, you have to start with the, the the goals of your own business, and this is where we see because we deal with a lot of companies helping them try to figure this out. And what we typically find is companies start at usually they start at step two or three, and what is missing is the initial step of saying, okay, I've got all these data streams. But what, from a business standpoint, do I really want to accomplish with this? What can I do? What do I want to do? Assume I have everything. But what do I want to do? And figure a plan based on that. Because once you have your strategy, then you can plug in what you've got. If you don't do that, you go back to sort of, you know, just thrashing about. And we see a lot of thrashing. Uh, companies have not really mastered that yet. That's one of the things that I, we're working with Angela on is to figure out, you know, how the, the process is supposed to work. So I think that's the key. That's the first step you've got to look at. So is is there a particular kind of data that you find is most often overlooked? There's just a gold mine sitting right there in front of people and they just they just walk by it every day, not realizing they're walking past a gold mine. Yes. So um especially in B2B, one of the most overlooked data sources or types of data is emotional and behavior data. Um from a marketer, we all buy from people. We buy products and for the longest time in B2B, there was a sense that there was no emotion in the buy. There's always emotion in the buy um, because you are buying um, into a relationship with another organization and you've got an entry point of a person. Tracking that type of information has been difficult. It's much like unstructured data. Um, we're inundated today with unstructured data. Figuring out how to manage it um, is a bit reminiscent of about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, of how you manage transactional data. Um, everybody wanted very structured data, non-changing, 
Um, you know, it stayed um, essentially in its format and didn't morph into something else like transactional data. Um, and now we're looking at that in unstructured data. But within the unstructured data, the gold mine is understanding how to use the emotional behavior um, components. Um, All right. So you said something really cool. I want to come back to because I think there's a very important vocabulary point. But this 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 notion of of emotional data is really fascinating. Yeah. And and I'm in finance, and and emotions have finally worked its way into what I do. It's called behavioral economics or behavioral Mm -hmm. finance, where Mm Academics and are asking, well, what if everybody doesn't make the right decision all the time, <laughs> right? Well, never thought of that. Well, let's start thinking about that. Is is emotional data? Is it as simple as um, it's ten o'clock at night and I stress eat, so I know I'm going to Taco Bell? Or is it um, you know I'm more likely to make impulse purchase because I'm I'm depressed or I'm an insomniac? I'm up at two thirty in the morning watching QVC or Home Shopping Network. Is it, is it as simple as that, or is it where else does that kind of show up? I, I, from my perspective, one of the things that is really interesting is you now, with the tools and the ability, you have the ability to track behavior enough that I'll, I'll eventually know more about you than you know about yourself. So I know what behavior you, you, you take. And we, we often tell people, and this is somewhat overlooked when you're looking at just crunching the numbers, if you want to find out what people are about sometimes, one of the easiest ways to do it is to ask them. Because from a behavioral standpoint, they'll tell you. If you ask the right questions, they'll tell you. And a lot of companies we work with will do uh, why they won analysis of sales. But what they don't do is they don't do the loss sale analysis. They don't say, why did somebody either not buy my product in favor of somebody else's or just not buy anything at all? And knowing that information to balance that scale is critical if you want to drive additional sales from learning what the behavior was that was going on in your prospect's mind when they made the purchase decision or they didn't make a purchase decision. And that requires a behavioral change of, of itself, right? Because uh, you know, I, a big part of what I do is in sales, right? And um, you know, landing a new engagement Candidly, is an, is an endorphin rush. I like it. In fact, I never thought I'd enjoy sales as much as I do because I'm a natural introvert. My wife always says, if they ever do a Mars mission, I'm going to be the first one to, like, I'm going to be in a tin can with nobody to talk to for seven months. <laughs> yeah. I am in. Radiation be damned. Um, uh, but, but that on the other side, right, it's human nature to want to focus on the positive, right? But as Bill Gates is famous for saying, success is a lousy teacher. It's it's learning from the places where you failed, but that's hard to do. So as a company, I, you I think you learn a lot more about it from the, the why you failed. If yeah. you really look at it that way, because you know again, um, we we all believe that what we're selling is wonderful and it solves a problem for people and what have you, and everybody should buy it, but not everybody does. So learning why they didn't is really the key thing. To me, that's the most interesting data points that you can pull out of, of things. And now with the tools we have, we don't have to do a one to one conversation each time the behavior is out there for us to kind of measure and pull together and it makes it much easier but you gotta as a company or as a as a decision maker you've got to have the courage to dive into the failure and i think angela you've had you've told me stories about that that you know you with people that have basically made that kind of change uh in terms of their attitudes and approaches to things that it really drives it yes emotional um type of data can be seen as abstract and um, I've learned over the years, I started off my career in technology and business intellig- intelligence, BI tools. And um, I went through the dot-com boom and then immediately the bust. 
And I realized very quickly that in order to keep my job, I had to become a data scientist. Um, and then I had to teach my team and my customers how to be that as well. Um, one thing I realized is that marketing has really started taking the shift. I seem to take it probably a little earlier than most folks, um, but now everyone needs to be a data scientist in marketing. And I use the scientific um, basically approach. Uh, I create a hypothesis. Um, I formulate what my end result is going to be. I use math to manage and monitor that result that I'm anticipating. And with emotional behavior data, you've got to do the same thing. Um, you've got to understand how you're going to use it to make business decisions. And you've got to put a stake in the ground to start with. Um, I find that a lot of people find this intimidating initially until they start working through mm -hmm. this process. And it is all about a process, putting a process in place. So you mentioned something uh, a little while back, but I think it's important vocabulary, structured versus unstructured data. Yes. W what does that mean? What is the difference? So unstructured data would be email or Slack messages or Instagram feeds or video content. Um, where you're, I'm going to throw another word out there, where you're managing it through metadata, um, which is essentially data about data. Mm -hmm. You're giving a description. But the core um, information content is not in a table um, uh, column field format that's easy to search on. Um, you're doing more of a, I would say, freeform mm -hmm. um, find and search. And the tools are, are getting better. In other words, a lot of the, you know, we're starting to see the prominence of artificial intelligence coming into data management and things like that that are giving us the ability to sort of go after this unstructured data and try to pull it together in ways that we didn't have before. But it's still early stage on that. But it's it's a matter, you still have to do both because there's a lot of, unstructured data that factors into the process that you got to consider. And that unstructured data has a lot of really cool stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's harder to use, right? Cuz it's unstructured. But like so many things, it's the thing that the, the thing that's most valuable requires the most effort yes. <laughs> to monetize, right? So, um yeah, you know, I'm I suspect almost anybody who's listening to this podcast has has read an article, Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Quarterly, whatever it is, you got to get on data. You got to get on data. Um, does that apply to any size company? Like if I'm a, if I'm a small three-person graphic design shop, do I need to get on top of data? Or is this something that only applies to the NCRs of the world, the Coxes of the world, and so, and so forth? Yes. Everybody needs to be um, – needs to have an understanding of their data. Um, you're not too small. You're definitely not too big. Uh, the biggest challenge I've seen over the course of my um, career is that companies start too late. They start during a growth acceleration period, and at that point, they don't have the historical data captured to help them make decisions um, to properly forecast on growth, how many leads they need to have, um, how many leads turn into sales opportunities that then um, turn into closed one. They're having to backstep and capture the data and hoping 
that their intuition is going to guide them in the right direction while they're going through growth acceleration. So I believe you start the minute that you open your company doors. Do you have to have so much sophisticated technology? No. You can start with a spreadsheet, but you have to have a plan. That's the number one thing that you have to go to the, you know, to the table with is having a data management plan. And um, you need to be looking at where you need to go um, two quarters from now, but also a year from now um, versus five years um, so that you can grow um, and manage your data strategy according to the company growth. Okay. It's a whole lot easier when you're small. Yeah. Then when yeah. you get bigger, that's right. It really is, and so the, if you get the right things, it's like it's like a lot of other things. If you set the discipline up on the early stage, and you put the processes in place that are going to drive it, it's a whole lot easier than trying to come back and, and backfill, as Angela mentioned. That, you know, when you get larger or when you're growing through going through a growth stage, that that's a challenge. When I don't know this for sure, but it makes intuitive sense. As you grow, the data inflows become exponentially greater. <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. and it just gets harder to wrestle that that loose fire hose to the ground and do something with it. Right, you haven't developed habits, and then I'm guessing you know, I, I do a lot of work with startups. When you do hit that high growth mode, and you haven't put in that discipline of data analytics yet. It's hard to kind of stop and make yourself do that when you have five prospects wanting to get a proposal right away. Right, and the Absolutely. next thing you know, it just never gets done until then. It becomes such a big problem you can never tackle it. Right. Let me give you a really, really quick example of of, of what you were just talking about. Um, A lot of companies spend a good bit of time trying to make sure they capture their information about prospects into a a program like Salesforce, okay? If they don't have the discipline set up on the early stage to identify how are we going to manage the titles of these prospects that we're using or the functions of these prospects, and they allow that to go on for a while, you could end up – we had a a client, for example, a couple years back that will remain nameless, um, that when we went in to try to find out how to segment to do a better job of marketing, they had 375 different types of titles in their Salesforce program because they never forced their salespeople – to consolidate. So if I was the vice president of stuff in my organization, that's what went into Salesforce. But the vice president of stuff is not really something that you could really sort on. So the reality is, as it gets larger and as your database gets larger, this company had 100,000 people in their database when we started to look at this. It was a phenomenal problem, a very expensive problem to fix. So if you start early and put the, the discipline process in place early when you have 25 people, 100 people, it's a whole lot easier to deal with. Yeah, our firm is a case study as well. You know, we're, we're starting to go back now and trying to understand basic things about our clients. You know, what, what industries are they in and can we associate them with NAICS code so we can start doing some kind of categorization and, you know, some geographic analysis and, and, and you know, income levels, you know, very mm-hmm. basic stuff. But we've been in business 60 years, right? The easiest thing to do is to capture that stuff and make people put that on the client intake form, right? But then you try to go back and capture it, and you're trying to, to ask a partner who's billing at 400 bucks an hour, and it's busy tax season, like, hey, can you verify these 80 different clients? Like, no, <laughs> I can't. I mean, I understand you need this data, but I'm not going to tell, you know, which client do I tell their tax return doesn't get filed because I do your data, I've I responded to your data request. And it's because, you know, 65 years ago, nobody thought about this, but now we have to go back. It does become 10 times harder. So 
but let's say you you do have a clean slate, right? You start a company called a called a uh, you know donut shop, mm-hmm. right? What's the most challenge? You know, what what are the the pitfalls, or how do I get started? Let's start with this. How do I get started doing that? Right? Think about data. Opening the door day one. What's my to do list? So, I always advise people to start with the company goals. What are your company goals? What are you trying to achieve within this first calendar year? And then. How do you need to make those decisions, whether it's successful, failure, or neutral? And then from there, start building alignment with the type of data that you need to help you manage to those goals. Um, Data is not the only thing that you're using um, as a resource, but it should be one that allows you to create predictability. Um, Most of our data is is still historical, Um, So if you're just starting, then you really need to identify your company goals so that you can start mapping. And a lot of times I advise people to start with a free um, technology. Start with a spreadsheet um, and just start identifying um, some of those metrics that will help you move towards that. Being in marketing, I focus more on that. So I'm looking at um, what is it going to cost me to acquire a customer? What's my cost per lead? What are my retention rates? Um, How many products am I selling by month, by quarter? Do I have any slow periods? Um, what, What is the actual selling price on average and, and the time for payback as well? Um, not just marketing, but overall cost of the company. Those are some fundamentals that I look at initially. Um, as you drill down, you'll see that you have website metrics that roll up to that. You'll have advertising metrics that roll up to that. Um, but it all starts with the company goals. Yep. Mickey, what do you think? Yeah, you have to, you have, to have them. And, and the other part of this is you can't go too far too fast. And what I mean by that is you have to – I would say the way I would put it is you have to figure out the appetite of your company for this because if you try to bite off too much and go way down the path, you're not going to win. You're not going to be able to do it, and you'll get frustrated, and somebody's going to throw up their hands and say, well, that was a wasted exercise, and it isn't. It's just that you tried to do too much. So the idea of having a plan based on your business goals and taking steps along the way so you create milestones is really the way to sort of do it in stages so that you're not trying to eat the elephant all at one time. So that's an important consideration. So there's something to be said about being incremental on it. Absolutely. right. Otherwise, it's just so intimidating. You're like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> you just sort of well, and, and if you try to do too f- much too fast, this is where you run into problems with something that you know nobody from the marketing side anyway wants to hear about, which is the data quality issues. So that's mm-hmm. that's a real problem for clients now, for companies that are trying to deal with this, because as the data flow comes in and this data gets into their systems, if it's not set up right the first way, if it's not cleaned regularly, what you're going to end up with the dirty data issue, which costs you know companies millions of dollars to sort of struggle through. And that's a big problem that it's out there that because if you run it too fast, you're not going to have the discipline to sort of figure it out. So, you know, I could be in your system as Mickey Long, Mickey L. Long, M. Long, something else. And how do you know it's all the same person? So if you don't have those things to figure out, the tools and the processes, you're, you're not going to get there. So you really have to make sure that you, you put the emphasis on ensuring that the data that you have in your system is clean. 
That's a big consideration. And, and you know, the, the data collection itself, I think, to a degree, needs to be non-intrusive too, right? You know, I, I'm old enough. Uh, I'm old enough to remember Radio Shack, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Radio Shack used to be able to get cool stuff. Want to fix my TV? I want to get a remote-controlled car. I could go to Radio Shack. But golly, the thing I always dreaded was they, they would insist on taking my phone number every mm-hmm. time I went in. Every time, which meant they took it, so they wanted it, presumably to know the geographic distribution of their customers. But they never, they never hung on to it. There's nothing – and I think it's because the technology is not available that there's a central database to which they could connect, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you think about it, if, if, we had, if we had that barrier to kind of mechanically cough up our data every time we bought something – We'd never buy anything. We'd all live on some sort of agricultural commune and just sort of share <laughs> things with each other because the time cost of going into Kroger, right, and share and, and getting our blood drawn is just not worth it, right? But, yeah. but the reality of that is, you know, I, I often have this, this conversation with my kids. There's more data about you and there are more people out there that know more about you than you'll ever imagine, right? So we've given up a lot of our data freedom, if you will, because of the exchanges we made. So the reality in my mind is it's there. Why can't companies put it together and make sense of it? So why can't I walk into a Publix or a Kroger and as I'm walking down the aisle with my mobile phone, have them immediately start feeding me offers about the dog food that I bought last time I was in the store or the competitor's dog food with a special opportunity to try it. All of that exists. All of that data is there, all of the stores. This is what Angela's company does, is help companies with these mobile applications. So the, the applications are there. The data streams are there. Why haven't they put it together? That's, I guess, the big question is why haven't they figured out how to join A to B to create a really strong environment for them. Because they'd build, they'd build better customer interactions that way, along with higher revenue. It, it, is part of it because maybe the data tools themselves are, are just prohibitively expensive, intimidating? So intimidation is probably one key. So if we just look at MarTech alone, in 2018, there were over 8,000 um, types of technology in this space. So if you look at the Lumiscape, um, you need a magnifying glass to actually see the logos now on the sheet. Um, About five years ago, I think we were at about 600 companies. So the space has grown considerably. So there's more options than you know what to do with. Um, And a lot of companies start with, okay, I've got this huge data set. I know I have all the answers in this data set, so I need to run out and buy the technology to support that and be able to mine it and digest it. The problem is they start with the how. They go out and buy this complex system, multiple systems, integrate it together, but they never really understand why they're doing it and what they're trying to solve for. So they put in these systems. They've got the technology to find the answer, but they don't know what the answer they're looking for. Um, so then they start breaking it apart um, and, um, and then going backwards. So we see the shift in companies quite a bit just because they didn't start with a plan initially to figure out what they wanted. Um, so if I went into a grocery store and they had an aisle that said, Angela, here's all the products you want, um, and this is what you typically buy, or they packed my bags for me, they have all that information. 
and they could manage that if they wanted to create um, that type of a customer experience um, for their customers. Amazon's doing it. Mm-hmm. If you look at what Amazon does, when you go to Amazon, you buy something from Amazon, and so for the next lifetime, you're going to get recommendations from Amazon based on the products you're buying. So they're using that same kind of technology with the data from previous sales to give you a better user experience. And that's what it's all about, is trying to make the user feel more comfortable, more personal, uh, and more engaged with the brand of the company. And, and that goes across, I think, companies from the, the three-person company that's starting out as a, as a very boutique-oriented company to a, a large organization that's trying to just keep things going in the middle of the road. So whether you're large or small, you, you really want to build that brand. So it's all about customer experience. Now, there's the there's the tool out there, and you know that 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 makes sense. I mean, if, if the, you have a mismatched tool, it's, it's it's like buying a Tesla, and then all of a sudden realizing you really like to do off road stuff, then you think the Tesla it's the Tesla's fault, right? Well, yeah. it's not. You just you didn't buy a truck. So, um, the other side of the coin is the skills, right? Right. Not everybody has taken a course in statistics, and many who did, like me, twenty years ago, and my MBA diplomas in a cave wall in France someplace. Uh, so I don't necessarily remember it. Um, how do you get up to speed or how do you hire for that, find somebody that can make sense of that data and interpret it in a way that becomes useful business information? So when I'm hiring someone into a marketing operations role, which is traditionally where my data scientists or um, analytics person or persons would sit, I am looking for someone that has a science and math mind, um, and they have a natural curiosity to solve problems with numbers. Um, They're usually linear in thought, but they're very flexible to creative ideas. Um, So they're a bit different than a financial um, person that you would see doing accounting or or working in the finance department. Um, But I found if I have discovered that if I find someone that has a knack for science and really likes math, then they can learn the technology and be successful in this job. I think you've got to find somebody, you know, forgive the training, you have to find somebody that's a little geeky, somebody that really gets excited over data, the, the kind of person that kind of runs out of their office and says, look what I found when they put these two things together. But they really have to, I think, have a passion for it because if you really want to see what the insights are, you're looking for something, as you say, for that. You want that curiosity, that deep curiosity that says, if I put A and B together with one and four, what I'm going to show you is this is something you never thought of before. And this is going to help drive our business in a different direction or a different way. To me, that's nirvana. That's, that's what you really want to get out of this is to be able to take these things together in ways people haven't thought of and say that's going to put us in a new direction that's going to really, really light some fires under the, under the sales team to get some high revenue coming in. And it happens every day. You just have to have the right people. And that sounds a lot like what Angela was describing in terms of that, that hybrid of flexibility and linearity. You need the flexibility – and creativity to ask the right questions, but then linearity to answer the question in a process-driven way Absolutely. so that the statistics are meaningful, mm-hmm. right? If you, yes. if you don't do that, then you just you get gobbledygook, basically. Right. Um, what do most companies miss? What are companies most missing out on in data management? What do you think is the most frequent opportunity or biggest opportunity they're missing out on? I think uh, to go back to when they get started – I think that is a miss that I see quite a bit in a lot of companies 
where they're starting too late. Um, they don't set it as a priority um, earlier in the business when it can have a huge impact. Um, they're not treating data as an asset from day one. And um, that's a potential miss. Yep. I, I see two things. Number one, that they take the, the approach that's incorrect, which is that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have to be able to do this and have the discipline to do this over the long haul and not do this as, oh, let's try this for a couple of months, and if it doesn't quite work, we'll go back and do something else. That's one thing. And, and the other thing, it's, it's not a marketing exercise for the most part. It's a revenue exercise, which means you can't just sort of take the data streams coming in and say that's the purveyance of the marketing organization. You've got to join marketing and sales together for this thing to really work, and that's something that is still a challenge. I remember back in the day when the marketing automation tools first started, it was supposed to be the answer to all of our prayers. It was going to be marketing and sales were now finally going to get together and sing Kumbaya around the campfire, and we're all going to do everything together, and we're still trying to put marketing and salespeople together, and it's been at least 10 years since that started. So why has that not happened? It's because we still have issues that are people issues. They're not tool issues. So the reality of it is you've got to look at this thing holistically and say it's a business issue, not so much that. So that's what people miss in my mind that are big things that they don't, they don't look at. It's the integration. So do you have a favorite data success story, something really wonderful, spectacular you found that you just did not expect to find in a data exercise? I have two, actually. Um, I was working for a company a few years back, and um, part of my um, uh, what I was hired to do was to increase the brand equity of the company in a relatively short period of time. And when I got into the company, the brand colors were predominantly green and red. And after looking at the customer base, realized that 80% were male. Um, most of them were between the age of 35 to 50. And one in 10 were colorblind, red, green, colorblind. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that so, statistic. Yeah. yeah. So um, our ads, the call to action, were either um, highlighted in red or um, green, and um, the company was losing almost a half a million dollars in advertising cost um, due to the end user not being able to see the call to action. So I went into um, the leadership team, said we need to change the brand colors, um, presented my data, and within seconds had the approval to change the brand colors. I changed them from um, red-green to essentially um, green-yellow, citron. And um, we immediately saw an uptick in the brand um, value. We went from about 16% um, to a 25%, which is um, unheard of, um, especially with a tech company. So I wouldn't have been able to do that without the data. So I can give you one that's a really simple one has, having to do with database size and, and the quality of data we talked about before. I had a client that had a database of 100,000 people, and they were doing the classic marketing emails and things like that to try to get them in place. And they were having miserable returns, miserable email open rates, and all of those statistics that you look at. So what we did was we, we started doing an analysis, and what we found was there was a large group of these 100,000 that had never opened an email, had never engaged with them, had never done anything for them. So what we tried was something very revolutionary for that company, which is 
we said, let's ignore that 75,000 people in your database that have never touched anything. Just don't send an email to them. Don't think about them when you're crafting your messages and concentrate only on that smaller group and really refine that smaller group to see what we could do. And as you might expect, what's happening is the company is now seeing a tremendous return on the investment against that smaller group of people. And now with better messages and better approaches, they can start to expand out to other people that are like that. And the 75,000 that never did anything, they still sit there and we don't do anything with them. So the reality is it's a matter of concentrating on the people that are likely to do something and ignore the ones that don't. And I would, I would predict that most companies, if not all companies, have that same situation in place. We have a um, dealing with email um, within our support group. We um, track at Mobile Labs all our support tickets. And um, we actually get a little worried if we're not receiving support tickets from our customers um, because typically they're not using the product daily. One set of support tickets we've realized um, has helped us educate and improve the functionality of the product. So within our product, um, we use iPads, telephones, uh, mobile devices. Um, They come in at all different versions. Um, So you'll have an iPhone 6, an iPhone 8, and they're plugged in 24 hours a day. After a certain period of time, you will start seeing battery bloating. And it will slow down the performance of actually testing a mobile application on one of those devices. So through our support tickets, we started seeing that customers were complaining about battery bloating. So we actually started sending out information in advance. We knew if they were a customer for six months and that they were constantly plugged in, that they were most likely going to start seeing um, deterioration of devices. And we've been able to counterattack that through putting out more um, educational information through emails, where in the past we would send out promotional materials and emails, and they weren't getting it. They didn't want it. But this educational material is actually helping them improve the performance of the product overall. And in the end, it's, um, it has an impact on retention rates, um, customer churn. So Sure, it makes sense. So, okay, so um, we've talked through a lot of topics here. Some of our listeners are thinking, okay, I'm sold. I got to make data part of my business. Where do they start? What's the, what's the first thing on their to-do list? Start with the goals. Set realistic expectations. So like what Mickey has said, you don't want to try to boil the ocean. Um, start with what your company can tolerate. So understanding that if you're going to set up a, a you know, a marketing um, data hub and you need to utilize sales information, understand what the tolerance is from your sales team. Um, putting, you know, re- 50 required fields in sales force for them to fill out every time they have a prospect come in probably um, might be over um, their risk tolerance or their ability to handle that initially. Maybe start with five fields if you're just starting to input data and utilize data. Um, So setting up expectations would definitely, um, and setting goals would be my first. Mine would be just do it. 
just you know stop talking about it, stop thinking about it, stop reading about it, just go do something because you know even if the first thing you do isn't one hundred percent correct it's going to get you further than if you just start reading you know white papers about oh, well, i've got to get this data under control, and that's what we see is just that inertia is what stops a lot of people because they start looking at all the downsides to it. Just go do it is really what what I would recommend. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Just rip the Band-Aid <laughs> off and, you know, just go for it. Okay. So, um, all right. So, again, a, a lot to un- unpack here. We've only scratched the surface. We could easily make this a three-hour podcast, but not everybody would listen for three hours. So <laughs> if somebody wants to learn more, can, you know, can they contact you and ask you some questions? Would Absolutely. that be okay? Sure. So, uh, Angela, why don't you go first? Somebody wants to ask you about your experience with this, ask, ask you some advice. How, how would they contact you? So you can definitely contact me via LinkedIn. It's my name, Angela Culver, um, Mobile Labs. Also my email, Angela.Culver, C-U-L-V-E-R, at MobileLabsInc.com. And likewise, my, I, my LinkedIn profile is out there for, uh, for purveyance. And um, my email is really, really simple. It's mlong, L-O-N-G, at Arcetti.com. Okay. Gone are the days with the long strings with nine different numbers behind the at symbol, right? So thank, thank goodness for that. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Angela Culver and Mickey Long from Mobile Labs and Arcadia Group, respectively, so much for joining us and sharing their expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. Again, if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.